This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, with less than 30 days to go before the election, we are expecting a dramatic increase in online disinformation from both foreign and domestic actors, even within actual campaigns. Shireen Mitchell studies disinformation and has released two groundbreaking reports that show a direct connection between disinformation aimed at the black community and efforts to suppress the black vote. She joins us next. Before I begin, I will just mention that our conversation took place the day after it was revealed that Donald Trump had contracted COVID. Of course, a lot has happened in the days that have followed, including what appears to be a lot of disinformation around the timeline. But of course, we were unable to address that here. Here's our discussion. Hey, everybody. We are so fortunate to be joined by Shireen Mitchell today. She has been fighting disinformation online for over a decade. She is the founder of both Digital Sisters, the first organization dedicated to bringing women and girls of color online, as well as stop online violence against women. In 2018, she published a groundbreaking report showing that Russian ads in 2016 were created with the specific intent of suppressing the black vote. And then this year, she released a new report defining what digital digital voter suppression is and talking about how it's used domestically. We're going to talk a lot about that. Shereen has been doing a series of online seminars with Washington Plus Indivisible and the Washington Indivisible Network, which you guys, I cannot stress that I, I, I recommend these so highly. And we are so lucky to have her with us to talk about some of this. Shereen Mitchell, hello. Welcome. How are you? Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, working with Washington State has been amazing, so I, I really appreciate this. Well, I hope that uh, it's coming through that I'm just so grateful that you are, are doing this work with us because it's just invaluable. Um, and I want to get to it. But before I do, I'm hoping that you'll indulge me with a couple of thoughts about some recent events. I mean, first, we're, we're talking on an extraordinary day today. This is the day after Trump was diagnosed uh, positive for coronavirus, along with the first lady. It is early. But I, I'm wondering... What are you observing in terms of the way that disinformation is playing out right now? And and how do you anticipate it playing out over the course of this? Yeah, so the so some key things here about, as you can see with this, this recent uh, development, some people don't even believe that he has it, right? There's people who are debating whether he's telling the truth or not and whether this is a campaign strategy. Um, there's also um, other disinformation theories that I've seen. I mean, some of the theories I've been watching has been amazing to, to see that people actually would believe such things. But one of the other ones was literally people basically saying that they believed that um, that the Dems purposely infected him. Um, I, I, I am, <laughs> I am, I am floored and flabbergasted by the levels that people will go for depths of conspiracy theories. And that's, that's because we've, not only does he, peddling conspiracy theories, it makes it very, very possible for average people to believe certain things that just don't exist. And that in itself is where disinformation lies. It, it lies within the conspiracy theories. It lies in, in, in things that are not fact-based. It lies with people basically saying, you know, this is, I have the freedom to have this opinion, um, but opinions aren't facts. Um, these, all of these things, especially from a, a, an American exceptionalism framework about the concept that my free speech, I have the right to say and do whatever I want <laughs> is uh, honestly not true, but, but what people believe and, 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 and they mistake that statement 
that about that about the first uh, the First Amendment that's focused specifically on your right as an American citizen to speak against your government, <laughs> um, as if it's equal to you and me having a different difference of opinion, and 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 I'm st- I'm presenting facts and you get to say whatever you think you want to say, and we can walk away mutually disagreeing. But when it comes to disinformation, the, the seeding of that is that it's not that's not true. People want to walk away with their own facts, and that's not possible. You're anticipating, actually, the question that I was going to wrap up with today, and, and, and I'll hold that because I really want to get your thoughts on where we go from here. And I will also point out that I, I think it's ironic in the extreme that a recent Cornell University study showed that the biggest driver of misinformation around COVID was Trump himself. Oh, absolutely. And and now he's infected, right? He he during the debate, he basically was trying to shame Joe Biden for even wearing a mask, right? The people in the audience that came with him, who we now know were also infected, are were, were not wearing masks and basically probably infecting other people. His 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 um his um his 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 secret security team has been infected. And yet they're still basically saying they're not going to mandate masks even in the White House. I mean, the, the concept that all of these people are infected and probably have been infected and spreading the infection all this time. Um, but he's the one, the main one who's presenting the most um, disinformation around COVID. And then now also weaponizing that disinformation around COVID for um, vote by mail, because he's using that to basically say, you know, if you know, since since the virus isn't real, we, you know, people don't need to vote by mail. They need to just show up at the polls. And then while saying people need to show up at the polls, doing a hat tip to Proud Boys to tell them to show up at the polls too, to intimidate voters. Like we have epic levels of the disinformation that's coming just from him with no help with any, from anybody else. But that's, that's the, those are the key parts. And I, and, and I, I can't remember who said this, but um, I, I saw the article about this, and, and this is something that we've seen as a, a shift a little bit, and I'll explain this in a little bit more detail. But what, they, what they're basically saying, and Russia does not have, have to see the disinformation anymore. They just have to amplify um, Trump's. And so, and so, so they don't need to to cause the the friction. We're we're causing it, and it's coming from you know from the highest office in in our land. Um, and so, but when you see these types of things, when I say this in terms of where we are from 2016 to 2020, what has changed is that Russia was discovered, is that disinformation and interference was discovered. Some people are still denying that, by the way, which is still amazing to me. Um, but that now that they have been discovered, they had to come up with new ways to do this. And what they're actually doing now is what I said about the second report, um, is that we have domestic actors doing this, seeding the, the disinformation content. And then all, all Russia has to do is, is falsely amplify it, which is what they were doing before. Well, let's kind of go through the timeline here because, you know, your report that came out in 2018 was about the 2016 election. Very groundbreaking. So just kind of so that people know uh, the, the baseline of where we're starting here. Tell us about the 2018 report specifically and what it found. Yes. Yeah, so what we did was so. Let, let me let me explain this from from a framework of why people um, understand about the the Russian interference. What happened was Facebook was forced to turn over uh, thirty five hundred ads from Russia directly, the IRA agency, to the Senate to the, to 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 Congress. And once those ads were s- submitted to Congress, they they put those ads out to the public. 
And so there were different groups of people who were looking at these ads. This includes the media and the like, trying to make, a, make trying to wrap their head around what these ads were and what they were doing. Now, what a lot of the initial media was saying, they came away with it basically saying Russia was targeting race, right? And that was sort of the the flatness of the narrative. And and I when I saw that, I was like, something's wrong with people constantly basically saying the top issue is race. But then they, they started talking about other topics like LBT, uh, LBT I'm going to say it wrong, but the LBTQTIA community, I think I got it right. <laughs> um, um, the um, um, and then and then other other topics, right? And so and these are groups that are largely marginalized by our society, right? That they were they purposely were going after marginalized community communities, and this, of course, going after criminal justice, going after Black Lives Matter, which existed in 2016. Black Lives Matter exists now, but even a bigger in a bigger way, right? But but that was all of what they were doing back then. Um, they, they 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 presented fake accounts uh, like black blacktivists, but what we were looking at was. Not only were they presenting fake accounts as black people, but they were also pretending to be black women. So we had already started tracking that in 2013, looking at fake accounts pretending to be black women. There's a there was a whole campaign at that time in 2013 that's called Your Slip is Showing, where other black women activists were identifying these accounts that were pretending to be them, uh, trying to use the vernacular. They were screwing it up, of course, but they were trying to talk like they were black. And they, of course, were speaking other languages and, and didn't know how to translate uh, what they were thinking they were doing black jive, which is so funny to watch sometimes when I see it. Um, and so so that became painfully clear. Right. So 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 once we saw the narrative coming out from those thirty five hundred ads and the history that we already had about the about pretending to be black women, what we did is we took those ads, we did a data dump of those ads and looked at them from a data visualization perspective, looking at linkages and nodes that they were connected to. Okay. And once we did that data dump, we were able to see what looks like this this network, this web of a network of topics and issues that, of course, again, for marginalized groups. But when we dug in deeper and looked closer and looked at the intensity, the things they spent the most money on, the things they amplified the most and most and the most frequently, it was black identity. Can I just ask you, and this is probably apparent to most listeners, but why do you feel black voters were targeted specifically? It's history. It's American history. <laughs> um, we, we have a history of, of always targeting um, black voters uh, from Jim Crow to the present, um, making it impossible. You know, even 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 though white women got the right to vote in 1920, black women still didn't have the right to vote. Um, we had we've had we were murdered for trying to vote. Right. We have a history of that. So that history um, is part of the reason why we're targeted. But the other reason where where we are now is that it was pretty clear back then in 2016 that black women are the ones that turn out the vote and turn out the community to vote. So pretending to be them was a weapon of choice. Um, and that was a key piece for us to look at a little bit closer. So when we saw it, things that they were using with Beyonce and I mean, the, the levels of, of detail that they were trying to go in to bring in people to be to trust them to 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 hold um, hold their attention and to be and be in, and believe to be trusted sources, including media sources. They even made up a, a black media um, a website as if it was a news station. 
Um, all of these things were going on at the same time while the fake accounts were going out, while we're sharing content, right? So the fact that, you know, what people still don't want to accept, um, Black voters change elections. We saw that happen in South Carolina with, with Joe Biden, right? And Alabama. Stark, and, and, and Alabama with Doug Jones. It was a stark reality that some people don't like to admit in this country that why our votes are all, all why we're always targeting, targeted for, for, for voter suppression is because we do have an impact on elections. And the more we get out to vote, the, 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 um, the scary it is for certain certain candidates and certain politicians. It's also why why the criminal justice system is used, which people don't get to to get to get uh, to, to to get black people to, to to be felons or felon to have felonies in certain states, i.e., the fight in Florida, so they can't vote and change elections. Right? We're watching another basic poll tax where Bloomberg is now putting a million dollars down there to to keep people who who owe um, still owe the state. For something, while they, 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 even though they've gotten their freedom, for some financial reason, to hold them account so that they they can't vote. So, what? Why is this important? All these tactics. I think there was a a, a, a judge that basically said in North Carolina that they were they were going after the the, the black vote with surgical precision. So even though I think as as a, in American history we don't want to admit how much we do this or how how important the black vote is, um, it was clear that Russia knew that, and that's why they targeted us. Can you just make explicit for us where disinformation crosses over into voter suppression and how those two things work together? Yeah, I think that I think that that's the key piece. And that's the second report that that's important, because the, the things I just described, right, are, are sort of common practices and we've accepted them as common practices. And so there's also a, a sense that politicians always spend time trying to uh, get people to vote for them or getting people not to vote for someone else. Like we have this whole process that we do. And so sometimes people don't know where that line gets crossed. And that's the key part about why we, we did our second report. So to define digital voter suppression so so that you understand it, and then, we'll, and then I'll try to clarify this with the disinformation part, is that it's the use of online services and platforms to distribute inaccurate information, misinformation, disinformation, false data, mobile messages and or images for the purposes of suppressing the vote during in, during any election season. This is often used in conjunction with physical voter suppression activities that have, you know, different uh, digital components. Um, so why does why is this important? Because when what happened in 2016 that people were not identifying was when all those images were going out telling people with, with a black woman's face on it, with what looks like it was Hillary's campaign pushing it out, telling people don't stay in line, just text your vote. That's the one that crosses the line because that's voter suppression. You, there, we do not have a text your vote possibility in this country. And you also mentioned that there was one that gave an incorrect date that Democrats should vote yes. on a certain date, Republicans vote on another day. Exactly. So d- date problems is another example. Uh, they was put out images that, to confuse people about when, when, they, when and where they should actually vote. Time changes, putting out different times, telling people, oh, you can show up at 10 o'clock to, and still vote, right? <laughs> when the truth is, right, if you're in line by the, by the deadline, if, if it takes the 10 o'clock for you to still be, for, for, you, for you to cast your ballot, you can, but you cannot show up at 10 o'clock to vote. Um, so there were all these all these different messages that were basically uh, trying to trying trying to redirect people, but the but the other big campaigns that came out of 2016 was them basically targeting um, the campaigns, um, particularly uh, Kamala Harris with the super predator thing with the criminal justice 
wins, but also basically convincing people that both but both candidates were the same. And so that campaign had an impact. And I, I try to explain to people why this is different, but also why where the actual impacts are. I think sometimes people are confused about impact. They think it's because it sounds like it's words or 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 just online that this some this is somehow different than what really happens on the ground. So right, for example, the poll tax is something you physically can touch, right? Um them them closing down polling places, right? You know you know what that is. You can actually see a, a polling place cold, closed, right? These are things that people are used to seeing with, when, when it comes to um, voter suppression. What we're saying that there's aspects to that, and we're watching this now in 2020 with COVID. We'll, I know you want to go into that a little bit later. But what, what what's different about the digital voter suppression part that, that had impact is that in Michigan alone in 2016, people actually went through the physical barriers to go vote, got to the ballot, and did not vote top of the ticket. They voted down ballot, but left the top of the ticket blank because the the, the disinformation campaign that they're both the same worked. Um, in that state alone, he won only by 11, 11K. Yeah, yeah, so it was decisive. It was very decisive because we also found out in Detroit alone, which we know is a majority urban environment, mostly a b- black environment, 70K people did that. So out of that 90K, 70K just out of Detroit. So when people tell me there's no impact, I'm telling them you are not looking at what the impact really is. And this, and that was only one state, by the way, right? We, it's, it's enough of a number for us to say, hey. Um, and he didn't, and he won overall by what, 80K? Um, so, and, and this was just one state I can show you. So just imagine the, the rest of the states where this was happening at. So, so when people say, why does disinformation, why is disinformation important? It's messaging like that because it makes people take action. And so it's designed, as you say, to work in conjunction with traditional disenfranchisement uh, type, uh, you know, tactics that that have been used by, uh, well, Republicans and then before them, uh, the Southern Democrats uh, from time immemorial in this country, unfortunately. So, yeah, so you're talking about aspects of your 2020 uh, report. And one of the things that you found was examples of how this is now being used domestically. And I I find that to be um, chilling, uh, in in yes. the extreme, because it means that what Russia did to interfere with our election was a teachable moment for a lot of people uh, in this country. I wonder if you can just talk about that and talk about some examples that you have seen in this recent election cycle. I'll just use the example I just finished with and, I'll, and then I'll go into others. Mm-hmm. We right now have a, a campaign, a, a group of people who happen to be um, real people, again, also being amplified by Russia, um, that are basically telling people, um, go vote, but don't vote, don't vote top of the ticket. Only vote down ballot. Like that campaign right now is happening with uh, actual Americans in this particular instance, black Americans who are participating in that and they're being amplified by Russia. Um, So it's it's very not just Russia. Let me just say there are a lot of bad actors here. So it's not just Russia. So let me make sure I'm clear about that. Some of some of the people who are participating in this are also um, um, domestic actors on on the opposite opposing team. Um, And so like we saw the Channel 4 instance where they finally said what Trump had done in 2016, right? Um, and we know that they, they all the way down to the details of going into Wisconsin and doing that. So we have Russia and and the Trump campaign doing the same thing during 2016. 
I would encourage people to read both of your reports and also, again, to check out the seminars that you were doing, the webinars that you were doing with Indivisible Plus Washington and Washington Indivisible Network. And I will have all that information in the show notes. We are 30 days out from the most important election of our lifetimes, and I think people really want to combat the disinformation if they can and the digital voter suppression that goes along with it. What are some of the things that you recommend? So I think the, the the first part, you know, this is how I feel very strongly about. Stop denying the disinformation that the disinformation has impact. Understand and identify what digital voter suppression is so that when you see it, report it. Report it to us uh, on our website and report it on, on the platforms. I think those, those are key, number one top top tier things that you can do. And you as an individual can do this. So don't feel like I uh, just throw your hands up because so much is going on and you don't know where to act. This is just one example how to do that. The other aspect um, that I try to get people to understand is, you know, you, you, you may not like this, but every, this is not about intelligence. Every person that you know has either shared disinformation. We think we're savvy. We think we're above it. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have, have participated in that reflexive control because why any any disinformation that's really that's that's successful uh, jogs an emotion out of you and all you and you don't think to dig deep or do your own research you just hit the send button or hit the retweet button or hit the like button can i ask you about that what is it about the emotional response that yeah. you warn against um i what i tell people to do is pause if you feel an immediate passionate, if if it's anger or sadness, whatever it is, if you feel an immediate reaction to content that you're looking at, that's the purpose of the content, first of all, right? And then you have to ask yourself, why? Why is it trying to, you know, get this, get this reaction out of me? And then the third thing you need to do is probably dig a little deeper and and, and look at some research to see if there's some facts that that this that this stuff is factual, or if this is just basically using a, a trope. One of the easiest easiest things about why disinformation works is because people react to reflex. It's a reflexive control. If you believe certain stereotypes, then you react and share that content that matches your stereotypes. Right. So if you believe that, um, you know, all black people are criminals and you see content around that, you're just going to share it because you believe that you, you, you share what matches your beliefs. You also wrap yourself around with people who believe the same thing you believe, which is why the disinformation is working so well, because we are the most polarized as, we, as we've ever been. But we've also have way more people believing in conspiracies than anything we've ever done before here you know i like just even and, and i go crazy when 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 i think media thinks they're trying to help diffuse the disinformation that they, they are helping to amplify it on the other end of it so you see the disinformation in headlines which is of course what we did with our sessions to get people to see how hard it is for sometimes for people to even share or not share actual actual media right it, media sources because some of those sources are are helping to perpetuate the disinformation, even though maybe two or three paragraphs down they're de- debunking it. But the but the ether con- the thing about the reason why social media works the way it does, the amplification works the way it does, is it's how many times you actually see something. So if, so what 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 the troll farm did was it had five hundred people, a thousand people. You're talking about the Russian um, troll farm. The the Russian the first thing right the the Russian the troll farm yeah the IRA account that they had a thousand people in one building pretending to be a whole bunch of different people from different perspectives of, of the world in America and, and, and in other places. But what, what was, what people don't get is that with social media, you can be one person 
pretending to be 500 and then amplifying. So imagine having thousands of people who can be 500 people. That's not the same thing in the past of what we're used to, even though Russia tried to interfere during during the civil rights movement, right? But door knockers and pamphlets, right? Pamphlet distribution is, is one more expensive, by the way, and harder to distribute if, if you have to go door to door. But with, with social media, you get that you get that level of amplification. So as the, the same reason social media was created to help with amplifying is also being used in this dystopic way. It's enormously cost effective in in all of the good and bad ways that you that you mentioned. We know that a lot of disinformation, as you mentioned, is is spread by these troll accounts. Uh, how do you recognize a troll account? Yeah, so this is the this is the key part that I think people have a hard time with, and um and some of these accounts have been around long enough. So like when I talked about, and this is I just want to make sure people understand the depth and breadth of how long some of these accounts have been been around. Um, when we started talking about the fake accounts in 2013, some of those accounts sort of died out for a little while and then reconstituted themselves. Some of them actually stayed around for this entire time. So some of them have not been taken down and have not been discovered yet. So there are accounts that have learned to manipulate and and be a part of communities for quite some time. I found um, one interesting thing, uh, this this is another example. I was talking to a a professor was talking about disinformation. She happened to be a professor in uh, history of technology. And uh, she had made some comments about people being fake and anonymous and that some of these people were showing up being fake professors. And it was very true, right? The, the, the key was it was true, but she saw it directly because she was a professor. It's easier to see when you are one, right? So when she went to s- share this content, uh, they like there was a swarm of attacks on her. Um, and so a friend of mine told me, I happened to know that professor, but I didn't, I didn't see the attacks, but a friend of mine told me about it and said, are you watching what's happening to her? I went to go look in, at, at her stream, look at the attacks. And it was quite obvious which ones were fake to me. It was so obvious, but why was it so obvious to me? Because I'm used to seeing them, right? right. There's th- there are little things you can tell. So even though there were real people, this is, this is the catch in this because, because sometimes People go, well, but how do you know that they're real or fake? But when I'm actually talking to somebody, I actually know. So I go to accounts, like one, one person was saying, you tell me I'm fake and I'm real. And I said, I went to your account and I saw your real name and I saw the, the university you go to. Why would I think you're fake? I'm telling you, you are talking to fake accounts and, and then you are attacking this other professor who's real and you're allowing the fake accounts to amplify the negativeness while you're all angry at her for making a statement that is actually true. So they started to try to discredit her. The fake accounts which became very clear that it was this, it, it, the, the discrediting tactic is one of the top top things that they do. So they basically said, well, you're a professor of history. You have no right and you've done no study in disinformation. So why are you talking about that? As if she didn't have a right to, to talk about it or, or didn't have the expertise as a professor to, to identify the fake accounts. So those are the things that told me right away which ones were fake. And so once I started to get into the conversation and say, I'm the expert, I'm showing up, then they tried to find ways to try to discredit me and became very clear which accounts were fake, but had been around enough in the, in the, in the, in the feminist, by the way, and some of these were feminist professors, in the feminist professor, professor space enough to know the lingo to speak like they were speaking until I jumped in and started changing the narratives around to something that they didn't understand. Can you then talk about how you did that? Um, so so um, I would say one of the key things were um, them making attempts to twist the conversation into botnets, right? It's something 
they don't have enough information about, right? But they're trying to make a, a comparison. This is because my information, so this one's a little bit trickier, right? So they were trying to make it seem like they were having a conversation with me about Russia, but they weren't. They were trying to twist the line into botnets that, that there's some technical history that goes there from this other professor. But when I started digging deeper into that lingo and the language, because they didn't have the depth of it, they started getting angry. And instead, what they started to do was telling people to block me. So as I'm telling and revealing the truth, they, the fake accounts are getting real people to block me so they don't hear the truth. Well, so then for those of us who don't have your level of expertise, and even then you got basically uh, inundated by bots, what, what do we do in a similar situation? For example, and I'll just, this is just kind of off the top of my head, but oftentimes if you get into a discussion with somebody where you know that they're propagating something that is untrue and you say, well, look, here's a source from the New York Times, here's a source from NPR, here's a source from CNN, and they're like, oh, no, no, fake news. None of those sources are legitimate. You know, here, look at this from Daily Stormer or Breitbart or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you rec- you recognize the level of discourse that you're having at that point, but I, I wonder is is it first of all is it worth getting into that sort of uh, exchange with somebody, and, and also is there anything you can effectively do? Yeah, and so this is this is why this is a great example, right? This is the impact, right? The impact of the disinformation. People still respond a certain way, believe only certain content. Um, will will we'll, in some of these instances they don't want to ever um, concede to any facts, right? And so 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 that's 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 one of those you have to pick and choose about whether you want to go how far down you want to go with this. But my goal is to first start with the truth, right? Discredit the the content that they're sharing and then end with the truth, which is the facts. And and make sure you keep those three steps in your head all the time. So if if they change the subject, the other tactic that they do <laughs> quite often is what about Right, right, sure. There's the what about us. Well, what about Obama? He did X, Y, Z. What sure. about this? What about that? Yeah. So one of the tricks that I do, or I tell people about that, make sure when you see the what about happen, do not go down that rabbit hole because that's the intent to get you back away from the original source of the conversation. That means that they, they there's either a weakness in that part of the conversation that you're, they're having and, they, and, 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 and their facts are not exactly up to par or... Um, there's aspects of that of those facts that they know is true, but they don't want you to amplify it. So they'll drag you off into another conversation. And I always tell people that's great. You know, I've gotten to I've gotten into debates, debates where people will tell me, you know, Joe Biden is just as racist as, as Donald Trump. And I'm going, let's let's go through the list if you want to go through the list. And they'll give me a list, and it's only Biden's list. I said, where's where's Trump's list? If you told me they're both the same in, in racism, share the co- content that's, that shows Trump is racist and they will never do it. Right. Why? Because they don't want those facts out. They just they just want the information about Biden out. So these are nuanced behavioral tactics. But these are enough like some of the basics of this. If you if you remember, like, you know, truth, debunk and truth. If you keep that as a model, then you will be able to make sure that that happens a little bit more often. We get more of the facts in the ether and, and not the disinformation. And uh, and again, avoid of all costs with uh, whataboutism. Don't let them take you down another path. So truth, debunk, and truth. And I would love to be able to take everything we've just talked about here and talk about something that's going on here in Washington State, which is R90. There is an issue on the ballot here. Uh, it is referendum 90. It would, it, it would affirm a bill already passed by the state legislature to teach age-appropriate sexual health education to students. There has been so much 
intentional sure. disinformation around this. The state yeah. GOP is absolutely using this to rile up its base to increase turnout. How do, how do you think we create effective counter messaging without repeating the negative messaging? Like we did in that session, I think it was so important. You know, this is I know that there were some people who felt um, strongly about the the headline that we discussed uh, there from a from a um, an outlet that's progressive, I believe, and really was on the side of um, of, of protecting our ninety. The issue, the issues there on on the right side of the issues there. Let me just say it that way. Um, it is very very important to not fall into the trap, right? Um, when I, when I say that, I mean that from a context of when I say the trap, I mean the, 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 the trap of they already have their agenda. They're trying to push out. Do not repeat their agenda. Only repeat your agenda of the conversation. Let them keep saying their version, but don't say, I know X, but this is, but this fact over here exists. Don't do that. Don't, we, we don't have space for that. Mostly because that allows the other the other uh, um, messages to, to keep having more amplification than your message. The other piece about um, that we saw was like, there was some, can I talk about it, about the sexual position thing? Is that fine? Well, you can. And I, we do this knowing that we're running the risk of reinforcing a lot of the things that we're talking about <laughs> yes. here. So let's let, let's right. say it this way. There is some misinformation that has to do, that is being propagated by uh, the, the opponents or actually the people who wrote uh, R90 that gives... Uh, disinformation, I would say, about the coursework being taught being age inappropriate. It is not true, but that's what they're putting out there. Right, right. And so, and that's the key to it, is that constantly trying to make sure that the the information that they're they're putting out says it's not age appropriate, right? That, That what you guys are trying to put out is, and that there's also a safety component in here, right? Um, we want to make sure that children are not subjected to sexual abuse, right? We yep. want to keep that message front and center, right? I, I would I would use, you know, I'm sorry to do this. I mean, I probably shouldn't even be doing this, but like the way in which uh, QAnon is using human trafficking, right, as their weapon of choice, right? Why wouldn't anybody well, They keep talking about save the children. And I mean, it's it's really sort of disturbingly effective in the way that they yes. have shifted their, their message, isn't it? As somebody who studies these sorts of things. Absolutely. It's, it's like, it's like, the, it's another part of the weapon, right? Don't you care about, you know, human trafficking? Of course. Absolutely. But you can use that same message about sexual abuse, right? Don't you care about children who may be sexually abused, right? This is, and here's the parts in R90 that that's about. Let's have that conversation. Um, and, 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 and avoid the whole sexual health thing, I think. I think that, I think the key to, to, the key to the sexual health concept is, is, the, is the weaponization that gets at the way that they're trying to say it's not age appropriate. Right. So just just like start with the big one. Right. Keep the big one at the top, you know, and and make sure that um, we're also saying we want, you know, healthy, happy children. And here's ways to make sure that they are, because we're going to make sure that they won't be exposed to this. And we're going to make sure there's systems in place if they are. And here are the things we want to do after that. Um, And that's why 
what we're trying to accomplish here is so important. I couldn't agree more. And also because of the ramifications of how the the GOP is using this to uh, drive out their base. And that has some down ballot effects as well. Uh, So and I will, again, once again, encourage people to check out specifically the second seminar that you did, the webinar that you did with uh, Washington Plus Indivisible, because you go into this in detail. And again, I'll have that all in the show notes for everybody. So, you know, as I mentioned, we're in the final stretch of the most important election of our lifetimes. What do you think we should prepare for in terms of disinformation over these last 30 days? I mean, some of the things are, are basic, right? Some of the things are, haven't changed, right? Any any messaging that you see that um, that uh, says that both candidates are the same, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to be very candid. I, I tell people there's 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 a difference between fascism and centrism and there's no both the same there. <laughs> there's no equal line there. Um, so you should be able to say simple things like that to just like diffuse the, the argument over both the same. I love that. There's, <laughs> yeah. There's a big difference between uh, centrism and fascism. I like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, there, there, there's, there's no, there's no sameness there. Yeah. There's no equal in any of that. <laughs> um, so let's just be clear. Like I will shut that down in a minute with that. <laughs> um, but if you want to keep going down that path, I have, you know, I have things that, have other things we can talk about sure, sure. um <laughs> but um but but that's those are those that campaign from 2016 still exists right um we want to make sure that we're paying attention to the way down ballot terms are being used right we want to have everyone show up to vote from the top of the ticket all the way down the ballot right we want to make sure that we're making we're, we're saying that more often and not leaving down ballot by itself because that's being weaponized right we want to keep away from sort of allowing that and we're going to see more of that as we get closer and closer to the election yeah, it's super important, as you say, to, to fill out the entire ballot this year and to watch out for disinformation around that. I would love to finish here with you. Um, and this is an enormous question, but you, you study this and have such a deep level of, ex- of expertise. We live in a world now where, and we've kind of been talking about this directly and indirectly throughout our whole, com- whole conversation, where we have basically two separate realities now. And a lot of it yeah. has to do with our social media uh, platforms. Do you see us ever getting back to some sort of shared agreement on truth and facts? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that we'll how 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 successful we'll we'll be with that. I mean, just think about the mask debate. We have two groups of people who think one think the ma- the the virus is a hoax and another doesn't, and and one group that thinks having to wear a mask is a is is a is a um, is a, uh, a government is government overreach. I mean, just imagine that trying to convince you to save not only your life but the lives of others is government overreach, right? There's there's some there's some deep seated things in this country that um, we still have to deal with that that unfortunately the last four years have uncovered how difficult that is for us um, and and how bad it is and how deep seated some of this is right I think that we have to have a reckoning before we can get get back to the middle and I, I did miss one thing that that I do see still happening is is that the way in which COVID is going to be weaponized and continue to be weaponized. So we, I don't think, it, the, excuse me, at the rate that we're going, including him also being infected and, and, and having super spreader events, he's having events where people are not wearing masks, right? He's having rallies. I mean, think about that. Um, that that this, is, this is something that we're going to be, this our country is going to be living through for the next couple of years. I know some people think that we might get to the end of this at some point, sometime next year, but I don't think so. I think that even the COVID issue, we're going to be living with for at least two years or more. 
And that's a reality check that needs to sink in about where we are and, and, and how we can get there. Because if we still have people doing, <clears throat> uh, like what happened in Florida, doing reopens um, on, 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 a, on a state level like that, um, how does that, how does it slow down? And even though, you know, other countries is preventing Americans to, from going to their countries, you can go around this country from Florida to, to the West Coast and, and, and continue to spread this. So this is, you know, this is such an important um, topic in, in this era, but I, I, I am not optimistic, to be honest, that we're going to we're going to come together over this until we get through this reckoning. I think that I think that one of the hardest things in American history, you know, with 1619 Project is, is, is the reality of slavery and its impact on this country. And some people still don't understand that and 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 think that anyone talking about we got people saying that we're trying to revise history. No, we're like, we're trying to tell you what the real history is. Now we're not trying to revise it. We're, we're literally trying to tell you you were never told the truth. And here's the truth. And again, this is also why the disinformation works because America has worked a lot with American exceptionalism and, and the bad stuff we want to hide. Most people didn't know Tulsa existed until a TV show. I sadly am one of those people and, and I know I'm not alone. Because because we like to hide the 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 bad stuff like that's what's going on. People think we're we're revising American history because 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 we're basically telling you what really happened and why why there's unrest in the black community. We don't have we didn't just have one Tulsa by the way. There's like a history of massacres that has happened that were similar to the same thing and for the same reason. Some of which was to take over. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, certain. But by the way, some of these were used to take over political, political, um, strat political offices, like in North Carolina, right? There was there was a massacre where they killed politicians. Okay, so 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 we're so we're not ha we don't want to believe those stories because we still want to believe that American ex is exceptional and it's a great place to live. And I'm not saying it's not a great place to live for some of us, but that's why we're in these two worlds because it's for some of us. Right. The two worlds that we're actually talking about is that this country is a great place to live for some of us. And to be honest, it's just not enough of us. There's more of us where it's not the great place that we that we promise we have been promising it is to others and to ourselves. We have yet to live up to our founding ideals in this country. They have no. always been aspirational. And I, I keep hoping that we are entering a time where that discussion might be possible, where we could move toward that. But as you say here, we have so much work to do. Um, you've done, as I mentioned, two webinars with Indivisible Plus Washington and the Washington Indivisible Network. And you have another one coming up on Wednesday, October 14th. What are you going to be discussing on that? Yeah, so we're basically trying to focus on we're like we're basically thirty days out. What in the short run can you do? Um, some of the things I'm talking about now, but a little bit more in detail, uh, giving people action items for themselves, um, ways in which they can uh, continue to, to, you know, to get out the vote, um, tactics they're going to have to look at or worry about in terms of what's going to happen with COVID and, and ballot boxes. We're seeing different states. I know Washington State is has has its own issues. We're going to talk specifically about Washington State, but we're watching all these initiatives that are going to get get closer and closer because without the VRA, <clears throat> which you know got gutted. That means that these states can make 
can make shifts in about two weeks out. And and unfortunately, that's that's where we're anticipating disinformation to be the most intense. And so we're trying to get people to understand the types of things they can do to uh, to 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 uh, address that. So I'm looking forward to that. I mean, we've had such great times with the last two, um, but this is more more of a um, here's how you can be strategic yourself, and then maybe hopefully spread that around with others. I cannot encourage people enough to go and check it out. And again, I will have all that in the show notes at indivisiblepodcast.org. Shereen Mitchell, we could talk forever. Um, Forever. You're extraordinary. (laughs) I I really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. And thank you for having me again. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. My thanks to John Pincus. Thanks also this week to Catherine Feisier. Special thanks to Lori Colwell. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.